We finished last week our series through the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, If you're here with us for the first time, uh, just welcome. So glad to have you here. My name is Keith. I'm the lead pastor here. And um, we're going to do a short series, as we do every year, on on Advent and focus on uh, Jesus and his coming. The word Advent means, it comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which means coming or arrival. And during this season, for the last 1,500 years or so, the church has focused on the coming of Jesus into this world. All right, And the Bible has a lot to say about why Jesus came into this world and what he accomplished when he came into this world and, and that he's going to come back to this world. So every eye is going to see him. And every knee is going to bow before him. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Advent is a season that helps prepare us to encounter Jesus. To to prepare our hearts and our minds and our homes. Kind of like John the Baptist was a voice in the wilderness preparing Israel for the coming of Messiah. Advent serves as, as, as that for us, as, as something that helps a rhythm in our annual, uh, in our lives, in our, in our seasons, to prepare us that Jesus is coming. And, that, and re- remember that he has come. And so for the next couple of Sundays, Lord willing, we're going to camp out in the book of 1 John. Okay, and 1 John has some really uh, relevant passages for us that speak about the coming of Jesus. It has some really relevant passages about light, as we're going to look at today. God is light. There's two statements in the Gospel of John that explicitly say, here's here's what God or who God is. God is light in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. And then in chapter 4, Lord willing, next week we're going to look at the, the section that says, uh, John says, God is love. And these are two themes of the Advent Christmas season, light and love. Um, uh, other themes are joy and peace and hope. And so today we're going to look at the reality, the, 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 the historical reality that Christ, the light of the world, stepped into this dark world to bring rescue to you and I. During this time of year, there is less sunlight in our days, naturally, right? And so we tend to be indoors more. And, and the, the, the lights, we see the lights of Christmas that are so beautiful that light up the dark night. And as we observe those beautiful lights this season, let us be reminded that God is light. Let us be reminded that Jesus is the light of the world who stepped down into darkness let us be reminded that you and i are called by jesus the light of the world as well because we possess that light in us and we are called to let our light shine we are called to walk in the light as he is in the light and to let our light shine through good deeds through loving and serving others and so let's look at first john chapter one That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands 
concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you that our joy, that, that, so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. And here's our big idea this morning. God was revealed in human history through the incarnation of Jesus Christ so that we might joyfully know him forever and walk in his light. God was revealed in human history, in history through the incarnation of Jesus Christ so that we might joyfully know him forever and walk in his light. You see, the reality that that little baby that was in a manger was not just a human, a little human life. The reality that that little baby in a manger born in Bethlehem was God incarnate, God in flesh, God who came to dwell among us. This is the message of Christmas. This is the message of Advent That Christ took on flesh and he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the the, the Father. Full of grace and truth. The, The glory of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. And so in the book of 1 John, there's a number of purpose statements that, that John gives. And I want to encourage you this, this week to read through 1 John and take note of those purpose statements. Take, take note of statements that, that speak about why Jesus came and, and how we're to live in light of why he came. But the first one we see in this text is, is that we might have fellowship. That we might have fellowship. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. John says, uh, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Amen. He says that we, we, he says that, uh, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. He says, I'm writing these things that, that, um, that to you about those who are trying to deceive you. He wrote these things so that we might not be deceived so that we would know what is true in a day when, where, where there's all kinds of philosophies and all kinds of ideas that are in, incompatible with Christianity. Um, the first John helps us be grounded in real Christianity. Okay, what real Christianity looks like. And that's what we talked about last week, real Christianity. And First John unpacks what that looks like for us. Real Christianity is about Christ and what he has done. And we are to respond to that appropriately 
and trusting in Jesus and loving like Jesus and living like Jesus. And lastly, uh, John wrote these things so that we may have assurance of our salvation, that we may know for certain that we belong to God. Not only that Jesus came in the world to rescue us, but that we truly have been rescued by Jesus and brought into his family, into his everlasting kingdom. If, if you've done the 2-7 book, you know that this is one of the assurances that you have to memorize, one of the five assurances that you have to memorize to complete the book. And he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, John uses that word know over 30 times in, in his pastoral epistle. And he's really, he, he's really big on this because he wants, the, he wants Christians, his audience that his, he's writing to, his readers, to have certainty about who Jesus is and who they are and what it looks like to believe him and follow him as Christians. And also, he wants to expose false versions of Christianity because they were threatening the church. And so he gives some black and white language uh, that, that's, that's diagnostic, that it helps reveal, here's what real Christianity looks like, and here's what false versions of Christianity look like. Some of the, the challenges that he was facing was there were, were, there were those who who were pushing back on on the truth that that Jesus was really a human being, that he really took on flesh. Because there was this view that all uh, all the, the, the world is is evil and, and every the physical world is evil, right? And so uh there they were Gnostics. Um Gnosticism was the threat. And so there was this idea that that you know maybe if Jesus came he just appeared to be in human flesh, because God can't become flesh, right? That, that, that's kind of the, the push that what he's pushing back on. So he makes it very clear that Jesus has come in the flesh, and he says that anybody who denies that reality is not from God in chapter 4. Anybody who denies the reality that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and that he is the Messiah is not from God. And so at the very beginning, John opens up this letter and he says, that which is from the beginning, and this is the similar language to John chapter 1, right? Which echoes Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And so John says, that which is from the beginning, Christ, by the way, was before he he lived before time before he was manifest in the world before God stepped into the world but in the person of Jesus Christ Jesus was always with the father the eternal son of God has always been with the father as the second person of the trinity the father the son and the holy spirit we talked about real christianity last week being trinitarian and as you read through 1 John, take note of the Trinitarian language that John uses. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is important because cults and false versions of Christianity 
that will come knocking at your door and try to convince you to read their books and follow their way and their translations of the Bible will downplay the importance of and deny, straight up deny, the Trinity. And as Christians, we believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, and one God. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But note that, that, that John says, um, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard. We've heard. He, he's, he's pointing to his senses. This involves his apostolic testimony. As an apostle who had been with Jesus, who had seen God in the flesh and walked with him for three years and then saw him resurrected from the dead. And, and Thomas was able to put his fingers in, the, in, the, in the, the wounds where Jesus was killed. And he was able to actually touch Jesus physically. He says, that which we have heard, which we have seen which with, with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. You don't touch a ghost or a spirit with your hands. Jesus ate breakfast. He ate food. He, he really did become a human being. And it's, it's, it's profound. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. And this time of year, we're reminded of this beautiful, central truth to the Christian faith of the God-man. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. The incarnation of Jesus Christ brought us revelation of God. It's through the incarnation of Jesus Christ that we're able to get oriented with reality, with who God is. And reality of who we are. And, and, and we're, we're able to see clearly in a dark, confusing, deceitful, broken, painful, sick, sin-sick sin world. In the incarnation, God reveals himself to us as the light of the world. As the word of life. He says, which our hands have, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the Logos, the word of life, the life was made manifested, was made manifest. There's Advent right there. Okay. He came and he arrived and he was made manifest and he revealed. God revealed himself to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And the apostles bore witness to it. They were right there. And he writes, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim it to you. The eternal life, which was with the father, was made manifest to us all. Last week I said uh, in talking about real Christianity that real Christianity was, was established with apostolic authority. Okay, we see that here in these verses as well. That real Christianity was established with apostolic authority. There were apostles who had been with Jesus that Jesus sent out to represent him, to carry his message. And thankfully the Holy Spirit inspired those apostles to write down those words in a book in letters that became a book 66 books combined in one and we call it the bible the word of god and we have recorded revelation of who god is and what he has done and we're 
And we're brought into the great redemptive story and we're able to see what God has done, how we got here and what God has done and what God says he will do. And so the incarnation has brought us revelation of God. Uh, in, in the Gospel of John, John writes um, in, at the end of the Gospel of John, he says that, that, that you might believe in the Son and have eternal life through believing. Right? And then he has some purpose statements in First, first John in his pastoral letters and, and giving assurance to Christians about the one in whom they have believed. And, and in John chapter 1, he says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. In the incarnation of Christ, we see who God is. We see the Lord gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We see our Savior as the one who is full of grace and truth. The incarnation reveals the grace of God. We know that God is gracious. Not only because the Old Testament tells us this, but in the person of Jesus, we see more clearly. more, And we have more revelation about what God is like. Who God truly is. The incarnation reveals the love of God. The love of God was manifested in this, that God sent his son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins. The incarnation reveals the sympathy of God. Jesus took on flesh, as, as, as Michael shared beautifully in, in communion. He he. he became human so that he can sympathize with our weaknesses and be tempted yet resist that temptation and never sin and become killable so that he can become the sacrifice for our sin to take away our sins to destroy the works of the devil sin dominating our lives and set us free The incarnation reveals the nearness of God. God came near to us. The divine took on human flesh, dwelt among us. He, he came near to us so that we might be near to him and that we might be with him forever. And he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. During this season, we remember that, that, that Christ is, is Emmanuel. God with us is pointing to the divinity of Christ. And we marvel at this beauty in the incarnation of, of God in human flesh. And we see the humility of God revealed in the incarnation. That God would come down and step into this broken world with pain and suffering, and subject himself to ridicule and discomfort and pain and darkness. And yet he didn't let it overtake him. 
The incarnation reveals the faithfulness of God, the promises that God has made to his people throughout history. That he's going to do something about this broken world and the injustice and the evil in this world. It's not always going to be like this. God created originally. He created it good. And it was mankind that corrupted. Genesis 3 corrupted this creation. And God did something about it. Throughout history, God was working and sending messengers, prophets. And then we see God doing something about the brokenness and the suffering and the evil in this world and sending his son Jesus to step into that, into this world, this evil world, and do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, namely deliver us from the evil one, rescue us from our sins, save us from our sins. He is the savior of the world. And the incarnation reveals the power of God. In the incarnation, it's God miraculously. Um, the, the, the virgin birth, it's perplexing. It's the story we hear about this little girl, Mary, who had never been with her husband, ne- never been sexually intimate, and yet is pregnant with child. She has baby. It's the power of God that we see revealed in the incarnation as well and so in the incarnation the revelation of god is brought to us it's manifested it's revealed to us are you grateful for that this morning is that encouraging to your heart also the incarnation has brought us life he says the life was made manifest that is the word of life the logos of life was made manifest And we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This is, a, this is core to our vision here, to know Jesus, to know him intimately and accurately, to truly know him and have eternal life in knowing him, and to respond in loving him as we truly get to know him, and to love others as we get to know him and as we walk with him and to impact this world as we do that. 1 John 5, 11, he says, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. If you have the son, you have life, the very source of life. And he came to give you abundant life and he came to give you eternal life. And it is a free gift. That we don't work for. We receive it as a gift of grace through faith. And when we do, it's transformative. It is, it's restorative and it is transformative. As we talked about last week, real Christianity is restorative and transformative. It's life-changing. We become new creations in Christ Jesus. Or in John's language, we become born again. God comes to dwell inside of us and take over 
And there's these indications that come out of our life. There's these signs of life that come out of our life. Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. This life within us and it comes out. And there's love and joy and peace. Patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And it just points to the reality that God is in us and he's leading us and, and, and we belong to him. And that's what First John says. That here's the mark of those who are born again. They love people. They do what's right. And they love people. It's real Christianity. It's, it's truly having eternal life. Because Christ has come. Not only into this world, but he's come into your world. And he's broken into the history of your life. And he's become not just the savior of the world, but he's become your savior your Lord, your Redeemer. First John five twenty, and we know that the Son of God has come, Advent, and has given us understanding, revelation, understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Do you have the Son? you have the son you have life john um charles wesley's hymn uh, hark the herald angels sing one of our favorites rich with theological truth and one of the verses are uh, i got that backwards light and life to all he gives is that right riz with healing <laughs> In his wings. I'm looking at you, the worship leader, Kevin. Light and life to all he gives. All he brings. Thank you. Light and life to all he brings. Riz with healing in his wings. John 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You go a little bit further down in John 1, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Jesus said in John eight twelve. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, I love seeing the lights of Christmas. I love seeing the candles and the beautiful decorations and the the bright lights that shine with the backdrop of a dark night. And as we see that, let us be reminded of who the light of the world is and that he has come, that he has stepped into the world to bring life to us, to overpower the darkness, to destroy the kingdom of darkness, and to make us recipients of his kingdom, heirs of his kingdom. The incarnation has brought us into fellowship with God. It's re, the incarnation has revealed God to us. The incarnation has brought life to us who have received it through faith. 
the incarnation has brought us into fellowship with the Almighty, with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, in reading that, you may say, well, why does he say with us? I mean, you would think, I would think, as I read that, like, why does it say so that you may have, we, we proclaim to you, we've, we've heard, we've seen, and we've heard, and we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with God. You would, it seems like he would say that next, right? But he doesn't. He says with us. What's he talking about here? Is there, is there a problem here is there is there inconsistency here of, of, of some of the other scriptures in Bible and and and, and I think w- what's going on here is is what I've mentioned is that real Christianity is established through apostolic authority. God has chosen these apostles who were, are to represent Him and be a, a kind of foundation to the church. Ephesians two with Jesus Christ as the corner chief cornerstone. To, to reveal that revelation that was revealed to them. And it's preserved in the pages of Scripture. And, and we do get to know God person, personally and intimately. But it's through the pages of Scripture, the message that is proclaimed through the apostles, the gospel message about Jesus Christ that we get to know him truly. D.A. Carson puts it like this in his devotional, For the Love of God. He says, Fellowship in the New Testament is more than warm fuzzies. It is committed partnership in which personal interests are, are, sub, are subsumed, subsumed under the common mission. The first witnesses entered into fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. John's readers may enter that fellowship by entering into the fellowship of the apostles. That is why John proclaims what he has seen and heard. And the apostles mediate the gospel to others. We cannot enter fellowship with God, with His Son, Jesus Christ, without entering fellowship with the apostles who were the first witnesses of the incarnation. Now, why is this important at the beginning of 1 John? It's important because there were false teachers who had their version of Christianity and their version of Jesus that was false. And John was defending the true message, the true way. And in hopes that the people of God would not be led astray. And so let's read on to John chapter 1, verse 5. And, and let's see, at the end of John chapter 1, verse, uh, end of verse 4, he also says, he mentions joy there. And before we move on, let me just say this. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The Bible has a lot to say about joy in knowing Jesus and joy and and following God and and having a personal intimate relationship with God joy in the gospel good news of great joy and i just want to highlight that christianity is not some stuffy stale dead religion 
Okay? It is about a personal relationship with God, the Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. And it produces increasing joy in our lives when we get it right. When we believe, when we truly know Him, and we're truly walking with Him. When we're experiencing the kingdom that's described in, in Romans 14, 17 as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so, verse 5, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God has revealed himself. He's revealed himself through his son. He's revealed himself through the scriptures, which the Holy Spirit inspired the apostles to write. And he is the source of light, which represents purity, and truth, and holiness. And darkness symbolizes evil, secrecy, and mischievousness, injustice, wickedness, hatred. And John just makes it very clear in verse 5 that God is light. He is the source Think about what light does in the natural realm in, in our world. I mean, the first thing you do typically when you get up in the morning so you don't trip over stuff is you, you turn on the light. Light helps orient us to reality so that we don't stumble and hurt ourselves. We need light so that we can function and see, so we can see beauty and appreciate beauty in this world with our eyes. Right? Plants need light for life, for growth. My wife has a couple of plants, and we have a nice window with, with where it lets the light in. And that's one of the first things we do in the morning when we go into the front room as we open up the window. Just let the light in. It just feels good to my soul. And I can see what I'm reading as well. Just let the light in. Right? The light, God is the source of all light. And he goes on in verse 6, and he talks about walking in darkness. And this is application to the revelation of Jesus coming into this world to show us who God is, to bring our rescue. Because he is the light of the world, because he is the word of life, and he calls us into fellowship with him. To find our joy in him. We are to walk in the light as he is in the light. The denial of sin breaks fellowship with God and with others. The denial of sin breaks fellowship with God and with others. Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him while while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us of all sin. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now take note of the the benefits here that John highlights to walking in the light, to living out real Christianity. 
to responding appropriately to Jesus and what he has done and coming into the world to be our rescue. The first is if we're walking in the light, we're going to have fellowship with with God and with one another. There is a partnership, a fellowship, a relationship that is strengthened as we walk in the light. As, and and what, what that implies is transparency, okay? We're, we're being honest and transparent with one another. I remember the man of God who met with me one-on-one, one of the men of God who met with me one-on-one and discipled me and took me through the Bible and, and just helped me process through a number of different issues in life. One of the things that stood out to me that I think was was most significant in his discipleship with me was his ability to be very transparent and vulnerable and real about his own struggles. And not act as if he had reached some some artificial some perfection some level of sinless perfection. And it helped me it helped me realize that I don't have to pretend that I've reached a higher level of godliness or righteousness. That I can be honest and real and walk in the light and be known and accepted too. And, and I found that it was, it was the very path, the very step that I needed to grow in godliness. To grow in purity. To grow in knowing Jesus. To grow in having more intimate godly relationships with others. I needed to be honest. And quit hiding those things that I was ashamed of, that I didn't want anybody to know. And so as a young Christian, I've purposed in my heart that when, I've, when I have walked in darkness, when I've committed deeds of darkness, when I've sinned and I'm ashamed and I'm guilty, I've, I've committed in my heart, I'm going to talk to God about those things. I mean, one, he already knows. I mean, why do we, why do we like try to hide from God as if he doesn't know, like? Or run from God like Jonah as if we're going to win a game of hide and seek with God. Maybe he won't find me here, right? He, God will find us. Where can you go from his presence? You can't get away from him. He's going to find you. And he's not chasing you down to punish you. Real Christianity is restorative and transformative. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to walk in the light. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, he went looking for them and said, where are you? Not as if God didn't know where they were. Like, inform me where you're at because I can't find you. I'm having a hard time. That was an opportunity for confession. An opportunity to, to step in the light and acknowledge we've done what you told us not to do. And here at City Church, we want to cultivate a culture of um, transparency and authenticity. And I think we have that. I, I think it's a strength here. And I'd like for us to continue to move forward in that. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not have it all together because none of us do. We are sinners in need of a Savior. But simultaneously, we are saints. We've been made righteous. We've been redeemed. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. Now, it's interesting here in 1 John, he says, if we say we have no sin, we, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, and then at verse 10, it says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar 
and his word is not in us. I like to say that that God forgives sins, not excuses. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of those sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Those, Those things that have crept in and hindered our fellowship with him, our communion with him, our knowing him more intimately and accurately. So John, excuse me, John makes these statements in chapter 1, verse 6 and, and 8 and 9 about if we say we have no sin, uh, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But then he says in chapter 3, he says, whoever is born of God, chapter 3, verse 9, whoever is born of God, if you're reading the King James, says, sinneth not. Anybody got the King James? How many of y'all like to read King James? We've got a couple of King Jamers here. Whoever... Whoever is borneth of God, sinneth not, right? Um, I, I think that with that verse, that translation is a bit misleading because you've got to go back to chapter 1 here because it says if we say we're without sin, we're lying. Quit lying, right? <clears throat> and so some of the other uh, better translations will, will you, highlight the Greek emphasis there of whoever's born of god does not keep on practicing sin okay that means it's no longer the dominant characteristic of our lives right when we're born when we're born of god we're walking in the light and there's this continual cleansing and fellowship with god but even in that process, when you study First John, even in that process, you and I can know for certain that we belong to God and we do have eternal life now. Does that make sense? Y'all believe that? Do we function like that? Do we function like that or do we fall into the trap? And to thinking, I just got to work harder and harder, and then God will love me, and then God will accept me, and then I'll be okay. Now, Christian sanctification does not come automatically. Like, we have a part of, of responding to the grace of God and being empowered by the grace of God. There's a couple of phrases in Paul's writings that, that, that talk about being changed and transformed, and it's, it's commanded be transformed, but it's, it's, a, it's a passive imperative. Like It's like, you know, be transformed. Like, can we really transform ourselves? We need the Spirit of God to transform us. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need the Word of God to transform us, to change us. And real Christianity provides that power for change. Real Christianity provides the pardon, forgiveness of sins, and the power for cleansing and the power for change so that we can be and who God's called us to be, excuse me, and to do what he's called us to do. So lastly, um, and I've already mentioned this, walking in the light leads to fellowship and cleansing. Walking in the light means confessing our sin. Andreas Kotzenberger says this in his book, The First Days of Jesus, the story of the incarnation. God was born a baby, grew as a human being, and walked this earth as a man. This historical reality represents 
one of the strongest responses to the problem of evil. Rather than remain aloof and distant, God entered our world of pain, frailty, vulnerability, suffering, and death. He walked alongside us in every way and endured the, fuel, the full fury of evil, oppression, and injustice. When we suffer and when we have to watch those whom we love suffer, we do so knowing that God suffered alongside of us on our behalf in order to rescue us from suffering and provide an eternal home with no tears, death, mourning, crying, or pain. And so remember, church, this season, when you see Christmas lights light up the darkness, be reminded that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Remember that he sent his son Jesus into the world to be the light of the world in this dark world where we live. Remember that he calls you and I to walk in the light as he is in the light. And remember that Jesus has called you the light of the world as well. And he calls us to let our light shine by doing good works, doing good to others. So here's some other practical things for application. Read through First John this season and be strengthened in knowing Jesus and what real Christianity is and the assurance that you are his. First John provides assurance and confidence for the people of God. It gives us confidence in approaching God. And it gives us confidence in our witness of the true gospel. So reflect on why Jesus came to earth and what happened, what he accomplished when he did. Look for the purpose statements in scripture and write them out this season. Just as you're, as you're in your time with the Lord and um, reflect on, don't let the busyness of the season and all the good things, the festivities and the fun activities eclipse the light of Christ and the very reason for the season in your life. And reflect on what it looks like for you to live in that light, in his light, behind closed doors when no one else is watching. Let your light shine this Advent season by doing good and calling others into fellowship with Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we know that this season brings with it joys and pains. We know that darkness abounds. But you are the light and you shine. You shine through us. The darkness will not overpower the light. You're greater, you're stronger. Your grip on our life is firm, a firm grip of grace. So, Lord, fill your people with assurance, with confidence. Comfort us with gospel truth. And change us with that gospel truth. More and more, transform us.
by the power of your spirit, transform our lives. May our light grow brighter and brighter this season. May our love grow more and more fervent and abounding. May we love well. Thank you for sending Jesus to come near, to be with us, to bring your presence to us, bring us into your presence for all eternity. In your light, we see light. In Christ's name we pray. Step down into dark.